I'm kind of sad today. You say, why? You don't look like you're frowning. Because today is the last day of what's normal anyway. If you're visiting, we're doing a series. We've been doing it for a couple of months called What's Normal Anyway. been going through the book of Acts. And, uh, man, it has been, it's been awesome, hasn't it? The book of Acts has been wonderful. We're learning a ton. And uh, um, so we're going to take our last Sunday today looking at this, this series where we've been trying to look at the book of Acts but and just allowing it to speak to us and say what was normal for the early church and therefore what should be normal for us. And so we're going to do that today for, for our last topic. And what I want you to do is grab your Bible. Your Bible ought to just flop open to the book of Acts already. Um, and uh, we're going to start in the book of Acts, the second chapter. What we're going to do today is we're going to just read four different sections of the book of Acts. Just kind of go through them really quick. No commentary on them. Just reading them. And what we're going to do is we're going to allow what's normal, what was normal for the early church to just speak to us. Let it speak to us about what's, what's uh, normal. So Acts chapter 2. Starting in verse 43, it says, Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many, many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Now look at Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 32. We're saying, what's Acts saying to us? Verse 32, And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales." And lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would distribute to each of them as they had need. Now Joseph, a Levite of Sabathian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now let's flip over to Acts 19. Something a little bit different, but it's going to have a, a theme that's starting to come out of it here. Acts 19, starting in verse 18. You there? Verse 18, Many also of those who had believed kept coming, confessing and disclosing their practices. And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And everyone counted up the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. And one more, Acts chapter 20, verse Starting verse 33. It says, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to the Ephesians in a farewell address to the church. Verse 34. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And we'll stop right there. I think these passages reveal something to us as normal for the early church. That it revealed, that truly reveals that they had met Jesus, the risen Savior, and I'm going to explain why, 
and that the relationship with him was having a profound impact on their lives. Because in the four passages that we just read, we see something very, I think, incredibly amazing. We see that the grip of materialism was broken and that those early Christians lived lives of abundant generosity. That's what those four, four verses, verse section of verses all talk about. This theme of the early church living abundantly generously towards other people, which reveals this grip of materialism that is normal for humanity had been broken, and the only explanation for that is that they were living in such a profound, impacting relationship with Jesus that they were different for having met him than they were before they knew him. In Acts 19, the verse we read, it says the Ephesian, what they were, is Ephesian occultists. They were worshiping, they had magic books, it said, that they demonstrated the reality of their conversion to Christ by their willingness to burn their magic books, where it says here in the text, were were worth about 50,000 days wages, piece of silver, the equivalent about $6 million today. That money and possessions had lost their grip on them, that Jesus and his people were more valuable to them than stuff. In Acts chapter 20, the text we read, Paul is giving his farewell message to the Ephesian church and reminds him that he never took advantage of them financially and that like him, they should help, he says what? Help the weak. He's referring to the weak and the poor. He says why? Because Jesus said it was more blessed to give than to receive, which is not the way somebody thinks without knowing Jesus. The reality of Jesus in Paul's life had given him a heart like Jesus where he knew that the highest purpose for finances was to help others whom Jesus loved and died for. That's what Paul was expressing. Then in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, the first two verses we read, section of verses we read, the depth of transformation in the lives of the early Christians um, was most clearly seen here in their willingness to surrender their money and possessions to meet each other's needs. He's showing the grip of materialism was broken. And see, it was, understand, it was no more natural for those Christians in the book of Acts to cheerfully liquidate and disperse their assets um, and, and, they, and to give them than it would be for any one of us. It was, more no, it was no easier for Barnabas to sell his land and give it to the church than it would be for you and me. And that's the whole point that he's trying to make here. That conversion and the filling of the Holy Spirit are supernatural experiences that produce supernatural responses. Whether it was in the first century or in the 21st century. That the joyful giving and sharing of their property became the new normal of their supernatural living with Jesus. That was normal for them. So when we look at in our last day here today, what's normal anyway? What should be normal for us? What was normal for them? We can say this, what's normal anyway for genuine Christians? It's living lives of abundant generosity. And I want to say something this morning, and I hope you hear what I'm saying in my heart. I think that this is possibly, and it's why I kept it to the end, the most important message we will look at in this entire What's Normal Anyway series. I honestly believe this. Why? Because we live in a very spiritually dangerous time and place. We really do. 
and I think sometimes we don't really think we do, but we do. I want you to please hear me today. That today I feel like, I, I, I feel like what God wants me to do today is give, in a sense, a warning to his church. A warning that he's been screaming through his word, but I think sometimes we don't really get how significant the warning should be. And I think this message will help us to get a hold of that today. You see, understand this. Even though we have come through a difficult financial time in the United States, and we have. People call it the Great Recession. 2009, um, 2007, it kind of started 2009, 2010. It was terrible for a lot of people. Um, and, and it's slid for about four years, and now it's kind of getting a little bit better. But even though we have come through a difficult financial time, most of us in this room, unless you're visiting, we live in southeastern Wisconsin in the United States of America. And we simply, because of where we have been born and the opportunities that have been made available to us, whether you know it or not, are among the most affluent people on planet Earth. And I think when, when, you, when, we, when we live in a world where we keep up with the Joneses, we compare ourselves to the Joneses, and we forget the reality of where we have. America has about 3% of the world's population. America has, has two-thirds of all the world's wealth. Now, I'm not, sometimes people do this and they like a bash on America. I'm like, praise the Lord, we're prosperous. I'm glad to live in prosperity in one sense. But it's easy to forget that we are among the most affluent people on planet Earth. If you live in Ozaki County, and some of you go, oh, not me, I live in Washington County or Sheboygan County, you're pretty close. But the number I want to use is for Ozaki County. If you live in Ozaki County, you live right now today in the 49th wealthiest county in America. In 2008, 2001, we were the 8th wealthiest county in America, and it's taken a big slide because of the economic downturn. It hit us particularly hard because of just how, what our community was made up of, the kind of people who live here. And so we've gone from 8th, a couple years ago we were 25th, today we're the 49th wealthiest county in, the, in America, living in the wealthiest nation in the world. Now, this is our reality. And it affords us incredibly great opportunities. You know what? Our kids go to college. Um, we have 10 students graduating from our church youth group this year. To my knowledge, every single one of them is going to college, um, or almost everyone is going off to college somewhere. Is everyone? They're all going to college somewhere. Um, do you know that's not normal? Most people graduate in high school, if they graduate in, even in America, and they go to work somewhere. Our kids, almost 100% of our kids go to college. Um, we live in nice homes, meaning you actually have a furnace to heat it when it gets cold out. Thank God after this winter. Seriously, thank God after this winter. Um, we have more than we need. But you know what? You know what commercials are on TV, on, on our magazines, on our TV things? How to lose weight. That's only, they don't advertise that. When I lived in Cambodia, I never saw a weight loss ad once in Phnom Penh. Not once. Zero. Most of the world does not have how to spend $5 a day to get Nutrisystem or whatever, and you eat their meal, you'll lose a pound a week. Only in America. Nowhere else on the planet. But you see, if you, if you only lived here, we compare ourselves to the Joneses, and therefore we 
see ourselves in comparison and we don't maybe see the big picture that we live in one of the wealthiest places. Our kids go to college. We have beautiful homes. We drive cars and, and, and we have more than we need. And it puts before us, in, a, in addition to the great opportunities, and they are great, it also puts before us spiritual dangers that do not exist in the same way, there's other dangers in other places, but do not exist in the same way in other places that do not have the same level of affluence and prosperity that we have. That there are very real dangers living in an affluent place. I'm talking about spiritual dangers. I'm not talking about there's little guys sitting behind the wall waiting to get you. I'm talking about there's spiritual dangers, which are the worst kind of dangers because they affect your eternity, that are, that are unique to living in an affluent community, a place of abundance. And the dangers are very real, but I think for the most part, we not only ignore them, I think we deny them. And I think the church has denied them. I think especially the 80s and 90s with the church having a huge emphasis on the the prosperity, denied the the very, very challenging realities of living in affluence, the, the, the challenge spiritually to live in affluence. What I want to do today is I want to warn us of the dangers from the scriptures, and then equip us with tools to safeguard against the grip of materialism that is so present around us. Um, And the scriptures say is so spiritually destructive. So I'm going to give you, I'm going to talk about, first of all, the dangers of materialism in a fluid society. I'm going to give you three of them, and then we're going to look at three safeguards against materialism gripping you and living in an affluent society. So I'm going to give you three dangers of materialism of living in an affluent society in just a moment. But first, I want you to think about something that Jesus said so you don't think that I am barking up the wrong tree. Somehow I'm saying what you're saying, Pastor Mark, is your opinion, but it's not right. You know what? If it was my opinion, it doesn't matter. If it's God's word, it matters. And why don't we do just one example of literally the hundreds of examples of this from Scripture. But in, in Mark chapter 10, um, Jesus said this, and I've kind of combined it to consolidate it down, but Jesus said this in Mark chapter 10. How hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. With people it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Well, first of all, let me say this. What Jesus did not say. He didn't say that wealthy people couldn't be saved. Jesus says all, all things, all salvations are miraculous. Every, none of us are saved because of anything we do. We're saved because we respond to the call of God, the free gift of grace. So he didn't say that wealthy people couldn't be saved. Rather, he is saying that it is harder for a wealthy person to enter and live in the kingdom of God than it is for someone that is not wealthy. Now, isn't it interesting then, just a little aside, yet, the, yet people, probably the, one of the biggest prayers they pray is, oh God, bless me financially. When Jesus is saying, and we're going to put this all in balance as we go through, he's saying, listen, it is harder for wealthy people to know and serve me than it is for people without a great deal of wealth. He's, he's laying that teaching out that it is, it is harder for a wealthy person to enter the kingdom and live in the kingdom of God than it is for someone that's not wealthy. Why? Because wealth 
creates unique spiritual challenges. And remember this. All of us are wealthy compared to almost all of the rest of the people on planet Earth. So this refers to us. When Jesus said, it's harder for a wealthy person to enter the kingdom of God than it is for a non-wealthy person, he's referring to us today because compared to the rest of the world, we are wealthy. So wealth creates unique spiritual challenges, unique dangers that we face that you don't face if you don't have the same opportunity of affluence. And I want to look at three of the dangers. And I think they're dangers that you might not generally think of. And it's why I want to address them today. The first one is this. Affluence can spawn independence and self-sufficiency, which are deadly to faith. Affluence, and I didn't say will, I said affluence can spawn independence and self-sufficiency, which are deadly to faith. Think of this. Let's think of these questions. Why have faith in God when you have total faith in yourself? Why trust God when you have it all figured out and all your bases covered? Why pray when you have everything under control yourself? Or why ask God for your daily bread when you own the bakery? Right? Self-sufficiency is the great enemy of faith and prayer. Yet think of this. We pride ourselves on our financial independence in our culture. We pride ourselves. We champion it. We celebrate it. That I don't need anybody. I don't even need God. And friends, the danger in having excess is forgetting that all people are in need of God's provision. He says this, he makes it rain on the just and the unjust. And we need to remember that everything we have is ultimately a gift from God. It's not from you. That you have what you have because of because God has given you the abilities and God has um, chosen you to live in the place you live. That's why you have what you have. And when we start to believe that we are self-sufficient, then we begin to put ourselves in the place of God, which is pride. And pride kills faith. That's why it's such a danger. There is a real danger in having so much that you no longer really seek God for his, for his provisions because that will then destroy you spiritually. There's a danger in having excess. This is why during the communist um, oppression, um, a persecuted Romanian pastor told a group of American pastors this. Listen to what this pastor said. He lived in poverty. He lived in oppression. He looked at a bunch of rich American pastors and he said this. He said, in my experience, 95% of believers who face the test of persecution pass it, while 95% who face the test of prosperity fail it. This guy living in, 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 in with nothing, looked at people with everything, and he said, man, you have it harder than I have it here in prison. He understood the truth of what Jesus taught, that it's harder for a rich man, Jesus said not impossible, Harder, more difficult for a rich man to really live and walk with God than it is for a person without resources. Prosperity is a tough test to pass. 
because it leads to independence and self-sufficiency, which leads us away from God. And friends, that's a big danger. That makes sense? That's the first reason. That's the first danger. Let me give you the second. The second, remember, we're going we're to look at the safeguards in a little while, so, but we're going to lay out the bad news first, or the reality first. The second danger of materialism in an affluent society is this. Affluence can lead to elitism. Affluence can lead to elitism. And I would say this, this is much more common to us than we believe. It really is. It's much more common in me than I normally see. And it's much more common in the church of Jesus Christ in an affluent culture than we generally want to admit. Elitism is an illusion of superiority over others held by a privileged class. Okay? Elitism is this illusion of superiority over other people held by a privileged class. Now, we may all be thinking, we don't have classes in America. We may be thinking, that doesn't apply to me. And I'd say this. It is hard for this not to apply to us when we are part of the abundant class. It is very hard for this not. Matter of fact, I would say it is worldly, in a sense, natural for this to occur in everyone who lives in the abundant class. My revelation of this, and I've had a bunch of revelations of this, but the the revelation of this that really got my attention happened a number of years ago. I think I've told you this story before. Matter of fact, I asked some people, I said, have I told this story in church recently? And one person said no, and the other person said, I think maybe. And I said, well, I'm going to tell it again anyways in case case I haven't, but it, 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 it proves my point about me. I remember a number of years ago, I was a chaplain's assistant in Louisiana at a juvenile offenders prison for violent offenders. And I was with a guy, and I'm sitting talking to him, and I really went to that prison. I didn't really know this, but I was very elitist. I didn't know it. I was the great white hope going down to those poor, rotten, inner-city kids in, in from, from New Orleans, and I'm going to rescue them and tell them about Jesus and turn their lives around. And I was young and arrogant and, and uh, didn't really think of it that way, but I've got the answers. I'm coming in, and I'm sitting down in the prison, and I'm talking to them, and, and I'm helping them. I think I'm helping them, and it was more about God helping me, I think. And... Um, I'm talking to a young man, and I asked him a question about why he was in there and what was going on. And and he said to me, without blinking, and he wasn't lying, and he wasn't trying to scare me. He said, if I had a gun, I would shoot you in the face right now and kill you. And I said, yeah, yeah, come on, come on. I've known this guy for a while. He goes, I would. He says, I would. I said, you would have no remorse. None. He said, I would blow your brains out and kill you right now if I had the opportunity. And I'm thinking, wow. And so I'm, I'm the great white hope. You know, and I said to him, I said, just dawn on me, how? Tell me your story. He tells me a story about his upbringing, that his mother was a prostitute, and that for most of his life, he would be in a hotel room from a little baby on when his mother would be turning tricks, and he would be in there while she's doing this. She got old, as he got older, she, she'd make him leave the room. And one day, while his mother was making her living, a man started beating his mother, And he went into the room, there was a gun on a nightstand, he took the nightstand, he shot the guy dead, who was beating up his mother, and because of that, he was put in prison. And he was in jail, he'd be in jail for a long time, he was a a juvenile violent offender, and he was going to be in jail for a long time for capital murder. And it hit me, as I'm listening to this young man, 
from the inner city of New Orleans, African-American, and I thought, if I was him and raised in his family, I would have done the exact same thing and turned out exactly like him. And the, the, the little phrase that we say all the time just began to resonate in my mind. But for the grace of God, there go I. And literally, I'm like, that's me. I'm looking in a mirror, and I'm seeing me in him, and I'm realizing simply because I'm born to a construction worker dad in Cedarburg, Wisconsin, I'm living this life, and this kid's born to a prostitute in New Orleans, and he's living that life. And I suddenly realized... Um, I thought I was better than him, but I was no better than him. Friends, it is easy to be born into a position in society and believe you got there yourself because we're hardworking. You did take advantages of your opportunities. It's easy to be born into a position of society and believe you got there yourself and you must then be better or smarter or harder working than those below you. And you think of it, generally the below you is economically. When in reality, and I want you to think about this, most of us are simply the product of the family we were born into. Most of us in this room came out of middle class families and you are living a middle class existence. You had middle class opportunities, some took more advantage than others, but we're pretty much in America, middle class, living a middle class life from a middle class family. That's pretty much where you are. But if you had been born five miles south of the U.S. border, you would probably be poor and without opportunity just because of where you were born. If you would have been born in the inner city of New Orleans, you'd probably be poor and without opportunity. It's hard to believe that about ourselves because we say, but I've worked hard. I've taken advantage of my opportunity. We have. And, it, and we should. God's plan would be that all people would have opportunity. But it's hard to believe about ourselves, but it's true. That we would be completely different if we were born into a different situation. And friends, it's easy to develop an elitist mentality that looks down on others when you live a life of abundance. But church, having an elitist mentality will rob you of the love of Christ. It will rob you of the love of Christ. You know why? Because you will become judgmental instead of loving. We will begin to judge everybody else. Well, if they just would stop this, or they would just do that, or they would, they, they, they. When we don't understand, the only reason we're not they is because we were born into a different family. That's the biggest part of it. And being judgmental and not loving is incredibly spiritually destructive. And Jesus looked at that and he said, that's why it's hard to live with wealth. Because it's natural. It's natural to be elite. It's a natural thing for us to, to, have, to, for us to look down our nose at other people. Because we have it all. That's the second danger. Let me give you the third danger before we get to the before I, I depress you completely. Make you all want to sell everything, because that's not God's plan. God didn't say he said to one guy whose whose money was who his God was money, sell it all and follow him. He didn't tell the rest of the people to do that. Nor did selling all the possessions like they did in the early church and living communal ever become the model for the church. 
Private property has always been the model of the church. Um, and w- so that, Jesus didn't say that. He's just saying it's dangerous to live in affluence, and you better recognize the dangers. The third danger of materialism in an affluent society is this. And this is a huge one because this affects us in the church world because we do try to keep up with the Joneses, and it doesn't give us anything positive. It's this. Materialism brings us unhappiness and anxiety. Materialism, the love of all that stuff, the clamoring for all stuff, materialism brings us unhappiness and anxiety. In our culture, and maybe all cultures, there is a false belief that more money and more possessions makes a person happier. So what do people do? People wish for, and they work for, and they accumulate more. And if you don't believe it's true, just wait for the next Powerball or whatever, pick five or whatever the, the big thing that gets to like a hundred, like, like a half billion dollars, and look at everybody going crazy. If I just, they'll, you might as well throw your money out the window because you're not going to win, you know. Um, but they'll do it. Why? I just want to have more. That's really what it's saying. But is it true that more makes us happier? Listen to these statements from five incredibly wealthy, well-known people that you've all heard about from, from, our, from our American history. J.D. Rockefeller said this, I have made many millions, but they have brought me no happiness. I have made many millions, but they have brought me no happiness. W.H. Vanderbilt said, The care of 200 million is enough to kill anyone. Now, 200 million, when he said that was like billions today. The care of 200 million is enough to kill anyone. John Jacob Astor said this, I am the most miserable man on earth. Super wealthy. He says, I am the most miserable man on earth. Henry Ford said this, I was happier when doing a mechanic's job. And Andrew Carnegie said this, this is, this is huge, millionaires seldom smile. So Carnegie, Carnegie's an interesting guy who eventually said, you know what, this means nothing? You know why there's Carnegie Hall? It was Carnegie Steel? He sold it all. Why? He became a philanthropist. He said, give me the money, and he began just to give it away. Because he, re- he recognized millionaires seldom smile. These men simply discovered what King Solomon had already told us in the Word of God. Listen to what Solomon wrote. You want to read what I think is the, one of the most applicable books to our American culture today is Ecclesiastes. One of my favorite books because it, it speaks to this whole thing, the danger of materialism. Listen. This is what Solomon says. Whoever loves money, remember it's the love of money and possessions the root of all kinds of evil, not money. Money is neutral. It's neither good nor bad. It's the love of it. It's the belief that gives you something that it can't deliver that becomes evil. So he said this. Whoever loves money never has enough money, and whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. Then he said this. Listen. The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether he eats little or much. But the abundance of the rich man permits him no sleep. The abundance of the... Why? You lay awake wondering what happens if something happens and you lose it all. Right? Solomon, the wisest and richest man in the world, learned like these other men did that stuff doesn't satisfy it. In fact, managing a lot of stuff brings great anxiety. It's why people 
kill themselves. They jump off of bridges. They overdose. They shoot themselves when they have a lot invested in the market or in some kind of real estate thing or whatever, and it crashes because that to them is so valuable. And it goes down, and they say, life's not worth living. See, the danger in all of this is loving money and possessions. And why is that so dangerous? Why is Jesus warning? It's hard for rich men to enter the kingdom. Why is he warning? Why? Because loving money and possessions is idolatry. Colossians 3 tells us that. It's loving something else instead of God. And Jesus says you can't love God and money. Because money acts like a God. It dominates. It keeps our focus. We work for it. We celebrate it. He says you can't have them both. That loving money and possessions is idolatry. It's loving something instead of God. And friends, that will destroy you spiritually. See, friends, affluence is a hard taskmaster. And we must be aware of it as we live in an affluent society. That's why I've been warning us this morning. That's all the bad news. But realize something. There's good news. There are safeguards that we can put in place to keep us from loving, keep us from loving, not from having. Jesus didn't say sell it all. He sold it to a guy who was, who, who was so consumed with money that he said, if, if you don't get rid of it, um, if you don't get rid of it, it's going to destroy your soul. So get rid of it, then you can come know me. But he doesn't say it to everybody because we don't have to. We can have stuff and not love it. That's what, that's what the safeguards are for. There are safeguards that can, we can put in place to keep us from loving money and possessions keeping us from materialism so that abundance, get this, isn't a curse for us, but becomes a blessing for others. And that's the key. So three safeguards. And the safeguards will go through quicker than the, than the cautions. If we are going to thrive, three safeguards, if we are going to thrive spiritually in an abundant society. The first one is this. Generous giving frees us from the hold of our possessions. Generous giving frees us from the hold of our possessions. This is what the early church had figured out. Giving freely of what they had broke the grip of materialism. That's why Barnabas sold his field and gave it to the church. Obviously, he didn't need the field. It wasn't obviously something he used to to earn his living or he had to keep that to keep a living. It was excess, so he sold it and he gave it to the support of the emerging church. He said, it's not going to have a grip on me. It's why another story in the New Testament, Zacchaeus, remember Zacchaeus, the guy who climbed up the tree to see Jesus? When he came and met Christ, do you remember what he said after he came to a relationship with Christ? He said, if I've wronged anybody, I'll give them all the money back. I'll give them back more than I took from them. He showed that, you know what, giving it away broke the control of materialism in a man who had been ruled by materialism. A good way, and listen to this, friends. A good way for you and I to figure out if money controls us, if we need to break the grip through generous giving, and we all need to be generous in our giving, but a good way for us to figure out if money controls us is to honestly look at what you give and see if you are giving generously and with joy. Look at it. Are you giving generously and with joy? And I'd say this. If you begrudgingly Give a small portion of your surplus. I'm saying that very much on purpose. If you begrudgingly give on a regular basis a very small portion of your surplus, you're probably not a generous giver 
and your possessions probably control you. And if so, get a bit radical and give generously and feel the freedom that it brings to you. It's a safeguard. Give generously to break the control of the possessions in your life. And the only one that can evaluate that is you. I'm not Jesus. Jesus could look at the rich young ruler and go, I see in you that money is your God. So what do you have to do to follow me? Sell it all and follow me. But I don't know that about anybody else. I only know it about me. So you look at yourself and you say, do I give generously and with joy, or do I give begrudgingly a small portion of my surplus? doesn't affect me at all. It doesn't really matter. You know, it doesn't change my lifestyle at all. Just I give it kind of begrudgingly because I feel like I have to. But it doesn't, it, it, there's no joy in it. And it's not, it's not abundant. Then possessions probably control you. And I say get radical and defeat the devil who's trying to destroy you and begin to give abundantly. You know how you could maybe do it this May? May is missions month, right? During our missions month. Make the kind of pledge to, our, to, to world missions this year, which doesn't, doesn't bless me and it doesn't bless you. It blessed lost people around the globe that we will never, ever, ever meet. We're going to send, we're send missionaries to strangers around the world that God died for. This month, maybe, during our missions month, make the kind of pledge that would make an early church believer say, you know what? He or she is one of us, a generous giver. Do that this year instead of just begrudgingly giving a small portion of your surplus that you don't even know is gone anyways. I promise you, if you do that, it will break the control that money and possessions have on you. So that's the first safeguard. Second safeguard is this. Understand that if you are a child of God, and this is just for believers, those who say we live, what, we live for Christ as our Lord and Savior, understand that if you are a child of God, then all the resources under your control are really God's, they're not yours. That you really begin to acknowledge and live that out in your life. That's what the Acts Christians understood. Look at maybe the most amazing verse of anything we read today, Acts chapter 4, verse 32. If you want to underline a verse that will change your life, that will challenge you. Remember, you look at it and you say, God, I I need to understand this. I need it to become part of my soul. Acts 4, 32 is the key to this whole thing. It says, this is amazing, not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own. Think of that. Not any, not not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own. I just say wow to that. Nothing that has my name on it belongs to me. They understood that everything they had was God's and was to be used for God's glory. Friends, you know what I've learned? It is easy to give away something that's not yours. It's really easy to give it away. That's what they were doing. And that's what we do when we realize it's all really God's. We give generously because God is generous with his stuff. Do this with me. Go like this. Go. Deep breath. Breathe out. God's pretty generous with his air, isn't he? You know, you woke up this morning, you breathe, you eat, you live in a house, you drove a car. It's all God's. He's really incredibly generous with his stuff. 
And he says, you know what? Be generous back with the stuff that I've entrusted to you. That's the second safeguard. And the third safeguard is this. Keep your eye on eternity. Keep your eye on eternity. See, most of us are short-sighted. The furthest out that we look is our retirement. In fact, most people in an affluent culture, and listen to me today, fixate on amassing a small fortune to retire from anything spiritually productive in their later life. Let me say that again. I wrote it very on purpose and precisely. Most people in an affluent culture fixate on amassing a small fortune to retire from anything spiritually productive in their later life. That's the American dream. Scripture says that that is short-sighted. Eternity, friends, is a lot shorter than even the longest retirement. And Scripture repeatedly says that our giving now will have an effect on our eternity later. And you know what? I don't know how, because God didn't give a lot of details, but somehow God has tied eternal blessings to our generosity while on earth. And knowing that, knowing that that giving now somehow affects our eternity, which is much longer than our retirement, you know that you're storing up treasures, treasures in heaven when you give then, and that frees you from hoarding on earth. See, friends, understand this. We do not have to live like the rest of the world. We should take our lead from Scripture, not from the Wall Street Journal, for our values. We should take our, our leading on our values from God's Word, not from Forbes. And I know in an affluent culture, living in the 49th wealthiest county in America, there's some of you who would just as soon hit me in the head with a rock right now than hear that. But that's what God's Word tells us. We should take our cues on what should be our values from God's Word, not from the Wall Street Journal and not from Forbes. Because God, friends, has a better way. That's the reality. It's not that somehow you give something up for living for Christ. It's that God has a better way. He's saying it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than a rich man to go to heaven. Why? Because he says living in affluence is a hard taskmaster. He's not saying sell it all and give it away. He's saying understand that it's really tough to live with affluence. That Romanian pastor said 95% who do fail. But you know what? We don't have to fail. We can thrive and succeed. What's normal anyway for the children of God? What should be normal anyway for the people who make Portview Church their home? Living lives of abundant generosity. Because generosity safeguards us from the spiritual pitfalls of living in a culture of abundance. Friends, let's use the abundance that God has entrusted to us for the glory of God. That's not a very popular message in an affluent culture because the culture has set our values instead of God's Word setting our values. And I say this, God has a better way. God has a better, more fulfilling, more abundant, 
phenomenal way for us here. And in eternity, greater blessings when we live according to his values. You know why I know that? His word says it's true. Not Mark Larson. Mark would choose to say, hey, here's the ten ways to get rich. I would. Feeds my flesh. But God's word compels me to say the truth. So, let's use our abundance for the glory of God. Amen, church? Amen. Would you stand with me? I know I preached a long message today. You know, I go according to how many pages of notes, and I'm like, oh my goodness. I told Suzanne, this is a long one. I said, well, it's our last one in our series. But you know what? I want to just pray. I want to pray this as we end. I'm going to pray that God would break us from a spirit of materialism that's in our culture. You see, here's what I found about my life in Christ. I'm, God is constantly revealing to me more of how he wants me to become better. He doesn't deal with it all at once because he couldn't do it. But you know what? As he reveals this stuff to us, let's invite him to come and say, God, I want to, be, I want to become all I can be in you. Help me have the standards of your kingdom, not this world. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, as we look at, a, at just a teaching today that, that honestly really is very contrary to what we read in magazines and we hear on TV and we were even taught in school, but it's really clear from your word, I pray this for us as a church family today. Free us from the spirit of materialism in our culture. Start with me, God. It's all yours. And God, for some people, what you want to do is, because they give to you so generously, you want to bless them in business and in industry so that they can make fortunes that can then be funneled into your work. I believe that. But you know that for some, that that pull of abundance would be so strong that it would damage their faith. God, for any one of us in that situation, I pray, God, keep us from poverty or great riches so that we have enough, but we don't have too much if we would be unable to handle the, 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 the burden of affluence. So, Father, I just pray this through it all. What you would do is you would break us. You would set us free from a spirit of materialism that is rampant in the world and always has been. And help us to live lives free and different than the world around us. So, Lord Jesus, when we walk from this place today, help us honestly examine our lives. Help us to see if we're generous givers. If our eyes are fixed on eternity. If we have any sense of elitism in us. And God, just help us to walk freely in this area so that you could use the abundant resources of of an affluent community to change the world. So there really would be no needy among us. Your gospel would go in power around the globe for your glory. God, we surrender to you. Be glorified in your church, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.